You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, in what has uh, really become sort of a weekly tradition, uh, especially recently, Pope Francis created more confusion um, in the world, and especially among the faithful, and provoked more victorious chest-thumping among the enemies of Christianity. When he suggested uh, earlier in the week that Christians should apologize to, to homosexuals, and this was, you, you probably heard about these remarks, and it's at, it's at the point where you, you, you're on Facebook or something and you see a, a headline of a, a Pope Francis says whatever weird thing, and, and you, just, you don't even click on it anymore because you're like, oh, there's, there's, old Pope Francis is up to it again there. Look at him, up to his old antics again. Now, he offered these, these uh, rather unhelpful, unhelpful remarks in response to comments made by um, Cardinal Marx, who I believe is a German, appropriately named Cardinal Marx. And the good Cardinal Marx went further. This was a few days before Pope Francis, but he, he went further than just calling for a blanket apology to gays. He also claimed that a, um, a sexual relationship between two men, quote-unquote, has worth and ought to be recognized uh, for that worth, and it should be recognized by the state. Now, perhaps the, the good cardinal can explain the great worth of sexual sin to God, who I think is, is uh, I, I suppose, not as progressive and enlightened as, uh, as Cardinal Marx. Because God is, is, is so intolerant of sin that he sent his son to earth to bear the weight of our sins and pay the price for our salvation. But apparently the cardinal thinks that Jesus wasted his time. If only he'd realized that, that sin has worth. You know, sin isn't so bad. If only Jesus had realized that he, he wouldn't have gone through the hassle of dying in agony on the cross for the sins of mankind. If only Cardinal Marx could have been there. To say, you know, Jesus, actually this sin has worth. It has worth. Now, the Pope didn't echo uh, those, those, uh, that particular heresy, but he didn't condemn it either. And um, I'm not suggesting or implying that he agrees with it. I don't think... He does, but it's just that this pope is not one to condemn heretics, which I believe is one of the important jobs of a pope, to condemn heretics um, and heresies, more, more, more appropriately. But, uh, but this pope seems to prefer to, to train his guns on the orthodox. That's what he seems to concentrate on, is not, not the heretics. The world is full of heretics. The church is full of heretics. Christendom is full of heretics. But um, instead, he's, he's uh, and the Pope's not the only one, but increasingly focused on the five or six Orthodox people that exist left in the, in the world because they're, they're the problem that we have to really, really have to, you know, hone in on them and make sure that, they, that they've got their stuff together. Um, but the Pope said that he, he agrees with uh, Cardinal Marx that Christians should apologize to homosexuals who've been, quote unquote, offended. They've been offended. He also said we should ask forgiveness um, 
for having not accompanied so many choices. Now, that's, that's the direct quote from the translation. Ask forgiveness for, quote, having not accompanied so many choices, unquote. Now, I get that this is a, a, a translated and uh, so, you know, maybe something is lost in translation. But that, you know, and I read the entire text of, of his remarks, the Pope's remarks, and I can't make heads or tails out of most of it. It's not that it, a lot of it's controversial. It's that it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't make sense. I mean, having not accompanied so many, accompany a choice, what does that, what does that mean? Because the only way, this is what, this is what happens so often with, with this Pope, that you know, he says something and it, it's like, it doesn't appear to make sense, but the only way that you can really think to rashly interpret it is a way that would be, that's horrific and heretical. But I don't think he meant it that way, but we should accompany a gay person in their choices? Really? That's exactly what we shouldn't do. Exactly what we should not do is accompany a choice if it's sinful. Of course we shouldn't. Our job isn't to accompany people down their, the road to sin. We lock hands with them and march down to hell. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. So that's not what he, he couldn't have meant that. But that's what else could it mean? Now, liberals and uh, gay groups have celebrated the Pope's comments, uh, but they aren't satisfied, of course. <laughs> They're never satisfied. They magnanimously accepted the apology. And um, yeah, I read one uh, article from a, a gay liberal who was happy that... Um, the the Pope had finally acknowledged all the terrible, quote, damage that Christians have done to his community, all, all the damage we do to them. And he was very generous in saying, well, thank you for acknowledging all the damage you've done to us, all the terrible damage, you awful people, and the damage you've done. Now, he couldn't specify what the damage was exactly. What, what, and the Pope didn't specify either. What damage have we done? What, what are we doing that, that's, that's hurting gay people? What, what damage are we doing? But of course, the, the liberals were not um, satisfied. They, uh, they insisted that, uh, yeah, it's good to apologize, but the church also has to change its teachings on top of that. We have to change our teachings. Um, you can't just apologize for these scriptural teachings against homosexuality. To satiate the damaged liberals, you must rip out the offending pages and toss them in the trash. That's what they want. I've, uh, I've used the analogy before of, uh, well, it's really more of a, a parable the way I see it. If you give a mouse a cookie, you remember that story when you were a kid about uh, a, a little boy who gives a, a cookie to a mouse and then the mouse, you know, comes back and says, oh, well, now I want a glass of water. And so it gives a water and he's like, now, now I want a napkin. So it gives him a napkin and, uh, and he said, well, you know, now I want a, some crackers or whatever. And he gives him the crackers. Then he says, okay, now I want your soul. And he, and he sells the, the mouse his, his very soul. Because the mouse is never... I mean, that's the, that's the version that I read when I was a kid. I don't know if that's the original version. But the mouse is never, never satiated, ever. You know, keep giving it what it wants. It, it will never be satisfied. And um, liberalism is, is just like that. So in this case, they are happy for the apology and the groveling, but they also want uh, the biblical truths 
about sin to be changed. Now, they'll be disappointed on that, on that, on that front. That's not going to happen. Neither the Pope nor anyone else can change the biblical truths about sin. Um, and when it comes to, you know, to the Catholic Church, the Pope is not, cannot um, change the truth. And he hasn't tried to either. You know, the, the fundamental teachings of the church as it pertains to homosexuality, as it pertains to everything, have not been changed by this pope. He hasn't even tried. So despite all of you know, this stuff, all the things that are said and this talk of you know, the pope being a friend, of, he's, he has not tried to change any teaching, and he never will. It will not happen. It will not happen. But they're still waiting. And in the meantime, um, these comments about making apologies and so forth can still be quite confusing. And the Pope isn't alone, okay? Um, this is just one example, but the Muslim terrorist attack in Orlando provoked, of course, many prominent Christians from various denominations to chastise the conservatives in their own ranks uh, to feed into the Christian blaming going on in the media, to grovel to the LGBT lobby. I mean, this is happening all over the place. And not that they needed an excuse. It was happening before Orlando, and then it just k- kicked into hyperdrive because of it. So when it comes to all this stuff, you know, apologize to homosexuals, should we grovel to them, um, or, or to any group of sinners. And, and yes, we're all sinners. Uh, but, you know, should we take any group that has a sin that they're particularly fond of and should we apologize to them and grovel to them and beg them and cajole them and, 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 and all these suck up to them? On, on that front, I have three, three thoughts, three responses, okay? The first is this. Is this. Where is this intolerance? we're hearing about. I mean, after Orlando, there's a lot of Christian leaders, including the Pope, saying that, well, you know, Christians have been very unfair to homosexuals and, uh, you know, too too harsh and too intolerant. Uh, And I hear that. I think, where is that happening? What? Where? Where can I go to find that happening? I mean, you're telling me that the problem in the church is that people are too are, are overzealous? Really? That's the issue? Is that people are too aggressive in their in the, the defense of uh, biblical teachings and their uh, condemnation of sin, different lifestyles? That is the... Where? Where is it happening? I'm looking around. I don't see it. I've been going to church for 30 years. I know this is anecdotal. But I've been going to church for 30 years. I've gone to churches in, in, in 15 different states or more over the course of 30 years, I could probably count on one hand, probably on one finger, the number of times I have heard from the pulpit a, a, um, a, a really tough message on homosexuality. Or the number of times I've heard really any message on it. I could probably count on one hand the number of times I've heard it acknowledged in a church. And I really don't even think I'm exaggerating. And yet we constantly hear that the problem in the church and in all you know, branches of Christianity 
is that people are too severe in their faith and too intolerant. What? Where? I mean, what universe are we living in right now? Because I'm looking around and seeing the exact opposite problem. So am I crazy? Have I been huffing gasoline for the last 30 years and I just didn't know it? For decades now, many Christian leaders have accused faithful Christians of being too intolerant of homosexuals and other groups. You know, um, but I, I can't be the only one who looks around perplexed, wondering where this alleged intolerance is occurring because it seems clear to us that the real problem is precisely the opposite. You know, while the Pope and others insist that Christians have spoken out too harshly against homosexualities and other sins, um, the, the church-going rank and file have hardly heard anyone speak about it. Yeah, it's like when the Pope also talked about how um, we concentrate too much on abortion and uh, gay marriage. And again, what? Too much? Are you kidding me? Too much concentration? Now, I happen to be of the, 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 the perspective that I don't think you can concentrate on the murder of the unborn too much. But if it is possible to concentrate on it too much, we certainly have not reached that point as Christians in, 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 in the year 2016 or in any year since I've been born. And, and you know, not, not just homosexuality, abortion, pornography, fornication, uh, you know, rampant divorce and remarriage, all of our country's favorite sins have, in my experience, been mostly ignored by church leaders. Ignored. Like they're not even happening. I can go to church for, for years on end and not even hear them mentioned. And yet I'm told they're mentioned too much. So intolerance? Where? Tell me where I can find this. Because I would like to go there. I would like to pay a visit. I would like to move to that place where all of this terrible intolerance of sin is happening. I, I would like to be there. And by the way, um, not just because I like to hear other people's sins condemned um, for my own sake, for my own sake as a person, as a, as a human being and a sinner myself. Although, you know, homosexuality is not my sin. Abortion is not my sin. These are not my sins. It is not sins that I've indulged in or that I'm attempted towards. Uh, but I still have sins of my own. And I would very much like to, to be in a Christian community that is intolerant of all sin, including my own. Because I need that. That would, be, that would really help me. You know, on the rare occasion that I'm at a church and, you know, I hear a message from the pulpit that is, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be fire and brimstone and you're all going to hell. But on the rare occasion that I, that I hear a message that is forceful and laying out, you know, drawing the line and saying, here's the deal. Um, even if specific sins aren't mentioned, but on the rare occasion that, you know, that I, I hear th there's, you know, where I'm told, look, your soul is in jeopardy, you know, sin and evil. Th these are real things. And, and you, and you have to, you, you, you have to be a warrior for Christ in this world. I mean, you, you, that's, that's what you have to do. 
You have to die with Christ. March up that hill to Calvary with your cross and accept pain and suffering because that is what is necessary to enter into eternal life you know, beyond, beyond this one. On the rare occasion that I encounter a message like that at any church, there's a part of me I feel uncomfortable. I mean, it's a, you don't really like hearing that. It would be weird to enjoy it. Because I think, well, I'm a sinner too. And it makes me uncomfortable. But at the same time, it motivates me. It stirs me. And, and I, I want to feel uncomfortable. Don't you understand? This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I wish churches would understand. As I'm, okay, let me speak to you as a sinner right now. I want to feel uncomfortable in my sin. That's what I want to feel. I do not want to feel comfortable about it. I don't want to look around and say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Everything will be fine. Everyone's doing it. I don't want to think that it's dangerous. It puts my soul in peril. From what I can tell, Christendom has been progressively tolerating all manner of sin and debauchery for years. And the problem is that we're too intolerant. Give me a break. What I can certainly, the church in Christianity in North America, um, the, the, we do not have a problem here of being too intolerant or too orthodox or too overzealous. If it's even possible to be any of those things. Too, you know, too much. I don't think that exi- doesn't, it doesn't exist in Europe. You know, we're all marching. These, these civilizations are crumbling under the weight of moral relativism. I mean, does this Pope realize that? Is he aware that that's what's, that we are destroying, we are dying? That this civilization is dying under the weight of progressivism and moral relativism? That is what is destroying us? Not that people are too rude or impolite or anything like that or that they're too intolerant, but that we're dying under moral relativism because we are too tolerant of sin, of our own sin and everyone else's. We want to be comfortable. That is what's destroying us. Do these church leaders, do they realize that? Do they see it? How could they not see it? So where in the world can I go to find a place where, where they, if, if, if Christians err, they tend to err on the opposite side of where we err? Because it's not here. It's not Canada. It's not Europe. I mean, even if you go into Central America, South America, um, those, you know, those churches are also becoming progressively progressive. So where are we talking? Africa? I mean, Africa appears to be the, the one place. And, and look, the whole world. This is happening across the entire world. But some civilizations and some areas of the world are further you know, along the train to hell than others. Uh, so what? Africa and the Middle East. That, that's probably where you would go. And you would find really traditional Orthodox Christianity. And you would find communities and cultures that uh, perhaps are very intolerant of, uh, of, of sin. So is that, you know, when the Pope talks about it, is, is he talking about them, saying they're the problem? Because if he's not talking about, and I don't think they're the problem at all. I think the whole world should be like that. But if he's not talking about them, I don't know who he's talking about. I really don't. So number one, this is not a problem. Our problem is, in that, is, the, is the opposite. Number two. We won't win by 
when I say win, we won't win uh, people into the fold, into the church, by apologizing and by groveling. It's not going to happen. We won't win them that way. This is not a new strategy, okay? It's not new. This is, again, my entire life I've been hearing this. So that's the other thing. When I, when I, when I hear uh, that, uh, you know, the more progressive church leaders are doing something new by reaching out to communities and apologizing and groveling and being, you know, you know having kid gloves and sugarcoating, then I hear like this is something new. But my entire life it's what they've been doing. My entire life they've been doing that. This is nothing new at all. And before I was even born, I've been doing this for decades and it hasn't worked. They're just, this is what's destroying us. People are leaving the church and they're not coming back. And apologizing to them won't bring them back. You know, the the number one sin, the deadliest sin, at least if you, if you, if you believe, uh, you know, mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this point. And I believe C.S. Lewis on, uh, you know, almost everything. Maybe everything. I, I, I haven't found an area where I disagree with him, although I'm sure there, an area exists. I just haven't found it. But anyway, he talks in mere Christianity about how pride is the deadliest sin. And pride really is at the bottom of all sins. Pride is what led to you know, the fall of man, pride is what, is what, is what uh, created hell and, 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 you know, pride was the sin of Satan. Pride. Um, essentially rejecting God and saying, I, I want to be, I, I want to be the one in charge. You know, it's all, it's all about me, basically. And so part of the problem is when, um, you, you know, when you have people that have left Christianity, because they have a sin that they really enjoy and they feel like it's a personal affront to them if that sin is not accepted. And so they leave. And this is, okay, this is why people, a lot of people have left is uh, because they refuse to be a part of a religion that will not accept everything they do. It should all be about them. So the problem is when you offer apologies, even if they're, uh, you know, kind of vague and, and sort of general and these kind of, well, if we offended you, if we did something, you're feeding their pride. You're driving them further away from the truth because you are feeding the very thing that, that provoked them to leave in the first place, their pride. Because they sit there, it's not just gay people, it's we, 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 we can all tend to do this. Especially as Christians, where we can feel offended sometimes. Why is it my, you know, this is different. My sin is different. It's not like everyone else. How dare you condemn my sin? And then when someone comes as an apology and says, oh, gee, you're right. You know, we're sorry if we offended you. Then I just say to myself as the prideful sinner, I say, well, see, see good. You know, yeah, I was right all along. How dare you? I was right. I hope you learned your lesson because it is all about me. I deserved an apology and I got it. And as I say this, I'm just walking further and further away from the truth. 
and from God. I have not been helped by this apology. Okay? I have not been helped by it. This is not what's going to bring people in. Because what, how does it work? Start apologizing to, you know, groups of uh, sinners. And then what? We, we expect them, oh, okay, well, we'll be Christian then. I don't think it's going to work that way. But even if it does, then once you get them back in the door with this ridiculous apology, then what? Because you have two choices at that point. You got them back in the door, you've apologized. Even if you didn't mean it, you gave them the impression that you were apologizing for the biblical teaching itself, whichever one they disagree with. That's the impression they have, is that you have apologized for God and for truth. That's what they think. Whether that's how you meant it or not, that's, that's how it's interpreted. Um, that's how a lot of gay groups and liberals have interpreted what the Pope said. And that's not really what he meant, but that's how it's interpreted. And I really think the Pope should, should keep in mind how what he says is interpreted because it creates serious scandal. And I think he has that responsibility to keep that in mind. But anyway, you bring them back in with this apology. Then you have two choices at that point. You can continue, you know, now that you have them there, you brought them back in with this sort of misleading and, you know, by, by stoking their pride and by, you know, uh, bl- uh, sort of blunting the, the, the message of truth, hiding it under a bushel. You bring it back in, you can keep doing that. You can keep hiding the truth, keep sugarcoating, keep stoking their pride in order to keep them in the church. But, but then what they're getting is not really the church. It's not the truth. You've brought them in with a, with a half-truth, and you're keeping them with a half-truth, but a half-truth is a whole lie. If it's anything but the whole truth, then it's a whole lie. So that doesn't work. Or the other option is that you can get them back in the door, and then you can hit them with the real Christianity again, and then they're just going to leave again. Because they're going to say, hey, wait a second, I thought we had an understanding. You, you, you apologize, you get them back in, then you, then you say, oh yeah, okay, so let's get back to this stuff about sexual morality. Then they just storm back out the doors again and ask for another apology. What does it accomplish? Nothing. So it doesn't, you don't win people in by apologizing. Whether they know it or not, what people want Christianity to be, what Christianity needs to be is the light, is a light of truth, is a light of guidance saying, here is the way. It doesn't bend. It doesn't break for anybody. It is the truth, and it does not change for anybody. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter if it offends you. It doesn't matter if it damages you, you think. It's not really damaging you. But, but sometimes being purged of sin, sometimes being cured of an illness can hurt. And it, you know what? If it's a really serious illness... It can hurt to the point of damn near killing you. Think about getting, you know, radiation therapy for for cancer. I mean, you're practically killing yourself to save yourself. There's a real analogy there for Christianity. Die in order to live. And so, yeah, it's going to hurt. But the truth cannot be changed. And that's what Christianity, that's what every church needs to be. And if you bring in, if you, if you can bring a thousand people in the door that way, then great. If you only bring one in, then great. Not as great as bringing in a thousand, but still. But either way, it's the truth. It's up to the individual to decide. 
can't change the truth for them. Here's what happens. You start compromising on the truth. You start sugarcoating. You start apologizing. You start sucking up to, you know, gay activists and, and other activists who, who represent some, some favored sin. You start doing that. What happens? As I said, you're not going to bring them back in that way. You're not going to bring them into the truth with giving them something other than the truth. So you're not going to win them. That, that's going to fail. But all you're going to do, and this brings us to the third point, the only thing you really succeed in doing is alienating the people that are already there. Because the people that came, came for the truth. They came to be uncomfortable. That's why they're there. Because they know they're sick. And they want to be cured. That's why they came in the door. If they didn't come in the door for that, then that's their problem. If they came in for the, the door of the church for anything other than the truth, then they're going to be disappointed. And at that point, they can decide what to do. But the people that are really there, the people that you have, the people that are in the church, that are in the body of Christ, those are the people that are there because they want the truth. And as I said, they want really to be uncomfortable. They're not there to be comfortable. It's not why they're there. They're not there to be sucked up to. They're not there to be entertained. They're not there really even to have fun. It's not what it's about. It's about the truth. It's about Christ. And so when you, st when you take that away from them, you take that away from them so that you can give some... some uh, some sweet, syrupy, sugary half-truth to these other people to try to lure them in the door, then all you've, because you're not going to get them, all you've done is you've, ta you, you've taken away from these people the whole reason that they're there, and now you've alienated the people that you have in, in, for, for the sake of bringing in people you'll never get, at least not that way. There is a, there's a whole category of people, okay? There's a whole category of people who will never be saved and who will go to hell, okay? Um, who will never go to heaven. And those are people who, re who do not want truth and reject it. Those people will never go to heaven. They will not be saved, ever. If they, if they do not want truth, they do not want it. Now, I'm not saying, now there could be some, there's plenty of people walking around right now who don't want truth and can be saved. But my point is that in order to, to be saved, they, they have to become a different sort of person. They cannot remain the kind of person who doesn't want truth. So, all the people that will be in hell in the end are the people who didn't want truth. Before you get there, you can change sides. You can. But you change sides by wanting truth. So it doesn't make any sense if somebody doesn't want truth to say, okay, well, let's give them something that isn't truth because that's what they want. That's not, you, you, no, they have to be a different kind. They have to change. They have to be purged. They have to be torn down and rebuilt in a, in, a, in, a, in a difficult and spiritually violent 
process. They have to be torn down and rebuilt as the kind of person who wants truth. Because everyone who doesn't want truth, if they remain that way, will not be saved. There is nobody in heaven who doesn't want to be there. Nobody. It's impossible. So if you want people to want truth, if you want them to want heaven, you have to give them that. And in the meantime, you know, the very few uh, people in the church who are faithful, who are whatever words you want to use, orthodox, not perfect, not perfect, but they want truth. Those people. All that's been happening is that Christ, you know, Christian leaders have been alienating these people. Alienate, as we worry about alienating the kind of people who don't want truth and who are enemies of the truth and enemies of... We worry about alienating. They've alienated themselves, okay? They have alienated themselves and they have to come back to the light. We can't bring the light to them. Well, we, we can't change what the light... We, we can't turn light into darkness and darkness into light. Truth and untruth, untruth, for their sake. We can, we, we, can, we can bring light to them in the sense of introducing it to them. Or introducing them to it. But they have to make that choice. But the people there that want it, you know, all they, we've, they've just been alienated. And blamed. Blamed for everything. By their own leaders. You know, these are people, I'm talking about people who, you know, they, they, they have families when they have kids and um, they're not perfect, they are, you know, very imperfect, weak people, but they try and uh, they want the truth and they want to raise their kids in the truth and they're distressed about the state of the culture. I mean, distressed would be an understatement. They are um, in, in despair over it, really, or, or they, they, they feel a great temptation towards despair of it and they're trying to fight these battles and protect their family keep their kids pure keep themselves pure and and they stumble into a church on sunday like like wounded you know warriors needing to be revived and and and, and needing to be uh healed and needing to just bask in the light of truth for for an hour or two hours or whatever in the light of god and this is what they need. They're hungry for it. And so often they don't even get it. They just get some watered down, ridiculous, secularized travesty. And who is it for? It's not for the people there. It's not what they're there for. People on the outside of the doors, that's not going to bring them in. This ain't sister act, okay? Bring people in by, with secular music. With a, with a nun who raps and sings uh, whatever. Pop, pop songs. Doesn't work that way in the real world. And so not only do these people get this watered down Christianity, but then they get blamed. They, they get scapegoated. You know, they're fighting the cultural battles and, and then they hear that, uh, you know, the real problem in, in, the, in, the, 
in the country is them. That they're fighting the battles too much. That they're too focused on them. And they hear this not only from the enemies of the Christianity, but from Christian leaders themselves. It's, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, re- I think about this a lot. The story of the prodigal son. And a, a faithful Christian has sort of played all three roles in, in a way. Um, or at least the two roles of the two brothers. But I think I think especially about um, you know the prodigal son comes back, father runs out to meet him, says, you know, embraces him, says we're gonna have a big celebration for him, and the son that's been there the whole time and has been loyal and faithful starts to feel resentful, and he says, you know, I've been here all along. You've never celebrated me. You've never you never killed the the fattened calf for me had a big party for me. What about me? And so I realized that um, there could be a temptation among, among Christians, among faithful Christians to, to be that brother. And, and that's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, you know, people that go to church and try hard anyway should be celebrated. I'm not saying that we should be sucked up to by our leaders. That's not what I'm saying at all, in fact. But you'll notice that the prodigal son came back and he was repentant. And he didn't turn to the other brother and blame him. And say, it's all his fault that I left. Yell at him. And the the father didn't turn to the other son, the good son, and say, yeah, you know what? It is his fault. Apologize. That didn't happen either. Okay? That didn't happen. But that's what's happening now with with these... People we try to bring back into church, they, 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 they're not, they didn't even return. They're out there in the wilderness with their pride still pointing at Christians and blaming them. And then the Christian leaders who should be like the father in this scenario are, are agreeing with, with the son and, and pointing to the other one. Say, yeah, you know what it is? It's all his fault. It's just not going to work. It's not working and it's a... Um, This strategy has been a disaster. That's all. And that's going to do it for me. I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. I hope you have a great, great weekend. Akruche Salus. Godspeed, everybody.